As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Any body of medical professionals that has anything to do with, well, both the, the management of miscarriage, but also the management of abortion, have, have said that abortion needs to be taken out of the criminal code because they view it as entirely wrong and unhelpful for the threat of prosecution to be hanging over women who they're trying to assist. I think we have to reverse this pills by post uh, situation where where women are sent these pills on their own. No no checks as to, are very difficult to check if they're being coerced. And we have to have a situation where again, we have much more medical oversight and we don't have women able to take this dangerous decision at late term. That's the much more pro-woman approach rather than saying, in fact, we'll make these dangerous abortions legal, we'll remove the criminal prohibition and make it much more incentivizing. Hello and welcome to Unbelievable, the show that gets Christians and non-Christians thinking and talking about the subjects that matter to all of us. On today's show, we are dealing with a tough and emotional topic, the arguments around abortion, life and the rights of both the women and the children involved. This week in the UK, Parliament discussions are taking place around various aspects of the Criminal Justice Bill. One of the most contentious areas is around a couple of amendments that would remove offences that make it illegal for a woman to perform a self-abortion at any point right through to birth. There is lots to unpack about the potential decriminalisation of abortion. It needs to be noted that the bill is still being discussed and debated in Parliament, so there is plenty for us to discuss on today's episode. I'm delighted to be joined by two experts in the field. Rose McClatchy is Senior Legal Communications Officer at ADF and advocates for fundamental freedoms in the court of public opinion, both in written pieces and through public speaking. Before beginning her current role, Lois was a legal analyst on ADF International's UN advocacy team at the Human Rights Council in Geneva. McClatchy holds an LLM in human rights law with distinction from the University of Kent. Joining her today is Ellie Lee, Professor of Family and Parenting Research and the Director at the Centre for Parenting Culture Studies at the University of Kent here in the UK. Ellie's research and teaching draws on constructionist theories of social problems and sociological concepts such as risk consciousness and medicalisation to analyse the evolution of family policy and health policy. Her longest standing research area is abortion policy and service provision. Her work explores why everyday issues, for example, how mothers feed their babies, turn into major preoccupations for policymakers. So there we go. That's the intro. Let's get going. Welcome to both of you. Welcome, Ellie, and welcome, Lois. Thank you. Hi. It's great to have you uh, with us. And 
obviously a very, very sensitive issue, emotional issue. So we will treat it with uh, gentleness and respect. First of all, let's get a little bit of backstory from both of you, how you came to be here and um, why it is that you're working in this area in the first place. So uh, Lois, let's start with you. Sure. I actually have a, maybe a little bit of an unusual path into this area. When I was at university, I was actually looking at the issue of surrogacy uh, and the human rights implications uh, involved in that topic. And as I was thinking about surrogacy, I was thinking a lot about uh, the value of life before birth, uh, what it means in, in situations sometimes when a child is effectively sold uh, before they were born. And if they aren't meant to be sold, then, then surely they do have rights. And as I looked into international law on this topic, I realized that there was no reason why a person uh, should have a different uh, legal claim to life uh, inside or outside the womb. And as I got further into that, I started thinking more about abortion and how that impacts women. One in three women in our country have abortions. And often I, the feedback I have from my friends and from evidence that we have from across the country, that has a very negative impact on someone's life. And I don't feel that we're in the right uh, situation if we're uh, in a, a country where people feel they have to turn to abortion. So that was my uh, insight into this topic. And as I continue to research, I, I found that more compelling. Fantastic. Thank you so much for that. And Ellie, how about you? Backstory for you, please. Um, well, I first uh, started thinking about the issue uh, back in the late 1980s. Um, I was an um, undergraduate student and I got involved in well a, a bunch of issues around um, women's politics. But at the time, there was um, a bill going through Parliament, the Alton Bill, um, which was an effort to um, restrict women's access to abortion by reducing the legal time limit. So I got involved in a campaign to oppose the Alton Bill called FAB, Fight the Alton Bill. Um, and I suppose when I was um, 18, 19, I'd already started to quite strongly hold the view that um, privacy um, and the freedom to make your own decisions about your reproductive life was very important um, and it wasn't the place of politicians um, to be uh, deciding on, on something that was as personal and, and private. Um, so that, um, I mean, I wasn't studying the issue particularly, but um, I suppose that um, seemed very important to me. I, um, I did then um, got very interested in the um, sociological jargon that you <laughs> referred to in the introduction around um, uh, why certain issues end up become, turning out the way that they do in laws and policies. And um, so when I, I graduated, I carried on. Um, studying and my PhD thesis, um, which I did in the, I wrote my PhD in the, the mid 1990s. Um, I ended up pursuing a, an aspect of abortion, which was already becoming apparent um, when it was the Alton Bill, which was the, um, what I found very interesting um, effort on the part of people who opposed abortion and, and wanted there to be very significant legal restrictions around it, presenting themselves as almost like women's health campaigners, which I found peculiar and interesting. So when you mention the term medicalization, that I'm interested in the medicalization of, of social problems and arguments, I was interested in why people whose 
I thought perspective was really a, a religious or moralistic one um, had decided to medicalize their arguments um, and that then impelled my academic career subsequently because I've then written a lot on that whole um, aspect of life um, an aspect of, of political and, and social debate subsequently. Thank you. Well, as you can see, we've got two experts here, two people who know what they're talking about. And obviously, there's some legal issues here. There's some moral issues here. And we're going to try and look at all of those over the course of this episode. Let's turn our attention now then to what's going on in the UK. What's going on in Parliament in the halls of debate at the moment, Lois? Sure. Um, well, let me start off by by thanking people for listening because I know this is a, a very sensitive topic and I, especially I do want to thank Ellie for joining me in this conversation because it is such an important conversation to have. And let me start on, on what we can all agree on, uh, which is that we all want to have the best outcome that protects women and hopefully uh, children too. Now, what's happened in the halls of commons is that we have a current uh, criminal um, sanction against late-term abortion in the UK. So uh, you are able to um, have an abortion up to 24 weeks uh, within the UK. That's um, almost around six months. Uh, but later on, you uh, are there is a criminal sanction against having an abortion. Now, two uh, politicians, two MPs, have tabled amendments to a criminal justice bill, uh, which would remove uh, legal sanctions against those late-term abortions. Uh, one of the amendments, one by Stella Creasy, uh, would remove um, certain aspects of what's called the uh, OAPA, which is the original um, criminal bill which uh, made abortion illegal uh, up at that point of um of gestation. Um, and that would mean that abortion providers and women can uh, perform those uh, procedures uh, within a clinic and also uh, potentially at home, which is where a lot of abortions take place. Uh, the second amendment uh, comes from Diana Johnson and her amendment uh, would make it uh, legal for women uh, to carry out abortions on themselves uh, up until the point of birth, up till 40 weeks, as uh, you remove those criminal sanctions uh, that at the moment is in place to prevent that from happening. Obviously, this has a lot of traction uh, in the media and a lot of concern uh, because in the summer, uh, we have seen uh, a case where uh, a woman, Carla Foster, uh, did perform her own abortion on herself at a very late term. Uh, and she um, gave birth to a, a child that had been, uh, his life had, her life had been ended in the womb. Uh, she found that very traumatic and horrendous experience uh, had a very negative impact on her. Um, that was um, considered to be a crime. Uh, she initially uh, was sentenced to uh, a prison sentence uh, and that was later um, appealed and she uh, did not serve her full term. She served a very minimal sentence. Um, the experience of Carla and the death of baby Lily, who was uh, approximately uh, 35 weeks, I believe 32 to 35 weeks, uh, was something that really captured the nation's attention about this terrible um, injustice that had happened. And it's a terrible experience, both for Carla, the mother, and for Lily, the baby. And so eyes are really on this well to see how this would impact a situation like that. Would it enable more people to go through what Carla went through? Uh, and, and how would that impact uh, women's health across the country? Yeah. Ellie, anything to add? Yeah, I mean, I, I see the dynamics of this a, a, a bit differently and, and probably rather less abstractly and in, in connection with um, 
events really of of the past uh, three years. I mean, there's there's a longer term effort on the part of anybody that has anything to do with um, this aspect of women's health care, um, wanting to see abortion removed from the criminal code. Um, so there's been a consensus across um, anybody involved um, from a medical perspective with the provision of abortion, um, as well as um, people who are pro-choice politically. Um, to want to see abortion removed from the from the criminal code, so I think it's worth noting that um, one of the biggest changes that has happened um, this century, um, and it is quite a long time ago, this shift happened, um, is within, for example, the RCOG or the Faculty of Family Planning. Um, so the, the 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 components of the medical profession, the the Royal College of Midwives, really any body of medical professionals that has anything to do with, um, well, both the the management of miscarriage, but also the management of abortion, um, have have said that abortion needs to be taken out of the criminal code um, because they view it as um, entirely wrong and unhelpful for the threat of prosecution um, to be hanging over women um, who they're trying to assist. Um, and it does create very significant problems for interactions between health professionals and and women and for uh, the, the work that they're trying to do. And I, I think that shift is very significant and will shape what happens from now on, because the position that the medical profession adopts on these issues has always been very important in terms of what happens. But added to that, we've got what, what has happened um, by merit of, of the pandemic and the enormous shift in, in the way abortion is provided to women, which was impelled by the pandemic. Um, so I don't know how much your listeners know about how abortions provided, but basically across the world, in all countries where abortion is legal and also where it's not, um, the the most frequent way in which abortion is now provided to women um, is um, what's called medical abortion. Um, so it's a combination of, of hormones which induce miscarriage. They're the same hormones that are used in the medical management of miscarriage in hospital settings. So basically they induce the miscarriage. Um, and through um, peculiarities of the legal system in this country, which are probably a bit much to go into, but for one reason or another, to do with the way the law was working before the pandemic, the situation was was that women had to return to a clinic twice, two times to, to get the, the, the two different drugs. And there were lots of problems this was creating because miscarriages were beginning when women were leaving the clinic and then having to go back again. So everybody that had anything to do with the system has been saying for a long, long time that women need to be able to use these drugs at home um, to, to self-manage. In the pandemic, the use of abortion-inducing drugs that way was really driven forward, of course, because people couldn't get to clinics and it just became considered through... I mean, there was a lot of toing and froing with um, flip-flops on the part of the Department of Health and their decision-making. But in the end, um, it was agreed that there could be a new system and it's called Pills by Post. Um, and in 2022, there was an amendment to what's called the Health and Social Care Act. So when it was being discussed in Parliament, the Health and Social Care Bill, 
um, which has made this a permanent um, amendment to the way the law operates so that women can, can use these drugs at home. So that had all happened. Um, the situation that has then transpired coming out of the pandemic um, is at, at, at the edges of the, of the system. There's, there's clearly been some difficulties with how women are accessing the pills, how, how they're using them. And one outcome of that has not just been the, the, the prosecution of um, Carla Foster that Lois mentioned, but a whole series of women having their private lives mauled over um, by the police for protracted periods. I mean, this includes a 15-year-old girl, and there's at least six cases, there's many more lying in the background, um, where women's lives have been turned upside down for months and months with prosec criminal prosecution, with the threat of imprisonment hanging over their heads um, because it's come to light that it's unclear as to why the pregnancy ended, whether mm. they used drugs or whether these drugs or whether they didn't, and whether they did so in line with what the, the medical regulations say, which is they can be used up to 10 weeks. So I think what's happened even though you know the the, the politicians that, that that are bringing these amendments um, to, to Parliament would want abortion to be decriminalised anyway, but the sense of urgency around it now is because of a completely inhumane and awful situation where women are having their lives turned upside down in the most horrendous way, having all sorts of very very personal details made public, yeah. um, really appalling really appalling and I can't see how anybody who has even a, a basic respect for privacy in any sort of way <laughs> could consider this to, to, to be the, the way to go on. Um, it's very unclear what's happening, the relations between the police and, and how they're even deciding to prosecute these cases. Nobody seems very clear about what the CPS is trying to do or why. So I think that the context for this is, is wanting to bring some clarity to it and to yeah. basically say, look, if clearly there's some people who just object to abortion in principle and they don't want it to happen. That is not most people's view. Most people accept that, that it should be legal and it should be possible for women to terminate pregnancies and they want them to do so as early and as safely as possible. And we need to have a legal framework and situation that allows that. This is terrible if you see things from, from that point of view, having the threat of prosecution in this way, hanging over women's heads, influencing the provision of, of abortion to women is absolutely counterproductive yeah. from the point of view of what's in the best interest of women's health, their safety and their privacy rights. Yeah. And, and for that reason, I'm pretty optimistic that, that people in Parliament will see sense right. and understand that if you live in a modern society and, and you want reproductive health care, you can't threaten women with sending them to prison. Sure. Well, I'm sure uh, Lois wants to jump in. But just to clarify, Ellie, um, presumably it's not the case that we've simply got two binary opposing forces, pro-life and pro-choice. Presumably it is possible for someone to be pro-life, to believe that um, an unborn child is, is still alive, whilst also wanting the decriminalisation of abortion because, as you talked about, the mauling over of young women's private lives. Is, is that a stance that people take, that they're able to take? I don't know. I mean, I, I certainly know that there's absolutely lots and lots of Christians 
um, who think it's absolutely appalling to stick women in court and then mm. send them to prison for having an abortion. Mm. Yeah, I, I, you know, in in terms of where they would stand on the principle of the thing or or what have you, but I think that there's a lot of people who are, who are from all sorts of of different walks and lights and, and and perspectives who are completely appalled, and I I think there's a lot of people who are very shocked because even though we've had this arrangement with the law for a very long time. It's only since the pandemic that women have been up in court and sent to prison. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in the 21st century, we're deciding to send women to prison for having an abortion. I think a lot of people find that really quite shocking. I know all the, the students that I teach are incandescent and, and find it absolutely appalling. And, and then, you know, that's I, I think... People just think this is really the wrong thing to do and there right. has got to be a better way of managing women's needs and, and their health and, and, and what this is is all about. And, and there needs to be a grown-up, sensible discussion about in the 21st century what what kind of, of arrangements we, we need for, yeah. for the, you know, what's, you know, primarily the provision of mifepristone and, and misoprostol. It's got to be done in a, in a humane and sensible way, and that completely rules out sending women to prison. Okay. Well, we are at least having a grown-up and sensible conversation. <laughs> Lois, I'm sure um, there's lots you want to say in initial response to that. So um, we've got about three minutes before our first break. Uh, see how you Bless. get on. <laughs> Time flies. Huh? Yeah. I fully agree that the current situation is awful. I really do. I think that there is uh, a, or is a small increase in the number of women who are performing late-term abortions on themselves. And I agree that that traces back to pills by post. That's the system that was put in place for COVID to send pills to women's households instead of having them come in for an in-person check to see their gestational age, to see if there's any complications, an ectopic pregnancy, something that could go terribly wrong in the case of a self-administered abortion. But we don't have those checks anymore. And that's been made permanent by the law. So now we have a case where women are able to call an abortion provider, tell them that their pregnancy is less than 10 weeks, even if they might suspect that it isn't, that it's much, much further along. And that was the case. In Carla Foster's case, she asked uh, for the pills claiming that she had a less than 10 week pregnancy, even though she was up as high as 32 to 35 weeks. They're able to now have those pills at home have an abortion that is extremely dangerous in their own bathrooms. You know, we were told that abortion would be safe, legal, and rare, and that making it legal would would prevent women from having to perform it on themselves in the bathroom. And now we have a situation where we're encouraging women to perform on themselves in their bathroom. So therefore, now that we have those floodgates open to have this dangerous uh, access to those abortion pills at a very late term, we have an increase of women who are doing that much later. And that's what the law is in place to prevent, to prevent that from happening. So we want to keep the law in place to make sure those women don't go through that very dangerous situation. I think it does have to change. I think we have to reverse this pills by post uh, situation where where women are sent these pills on their own. No no checks as to, are very difficult to check if they're being coerced by a parent, coerced by uh, a partner, someone abusive in their life uh, to have these pills. And we have to have a situation where again, we have much more medical oversight and we don't have women able to take this dangerous decision at late term. That's the much more pro-woman approach rather than saying, in fact, we'll make these dangerous abortions legal, we'll remove the criminal prohibition and make it much more incentivizing uh, for women to perform this dangerous are you comparing mifepristone and misoprostol to throwing yourself down the stairs? 
when when you say this is like backstreet abortion i think it that there is government there's a government review that came out recently that shows the complication rate for an abortion medical abortion with pills with mifepristone misoprostol over 20 weeks is 160 times higher complication rate than a medical abortion the same under 10 weeks so i think the dangers to pose to women through this That's procedure the, the, the right? reason why there's the percentage increase is because mifepristone and misoprostol in early pregnancy is so incredibly safe so the, the that's a, a slightly odd way to present the numbers i mean not, not, notwithstanding the fact that i don't think anybody including those involved in the abortion service would say that the best way to deal with um, a woman who wants to terminate a pregnancy at 20 weeks is is um, through self-administered drugs that's absolutely not what anybody involved in the in the abortion service would 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 be wanting but equally, uh, they wouldn't think that you resolve this by threatening women with imprisonment. Well, we're going to have to take a short break on that cliffhanger. But um, obviously, viewers and listeners, it's a very sensitive topic. We are joined by two experts here today on Unbelievable. Our topic for today's episode is should abortion be decriminalized? Clearly, we've got lots more to talk about, uh, both Lois and Ellie putting their views forward very cogently and um, opposing in those views. But that's what these episodes are for. That's what Unbelievable is for. So we're going to take a short break, but we will be right back. We're interested to know what you think. Who's convincing you? What side are you on? Uh, what stance do you take? So why don't you get in contact? Unbelievable at premier.org.uk. You can follow us and find us on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Unbelievable FE, or on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash premier unbelievable so lots more to talk about we'll be back on this episode should abortion be decriminalized in the uk after this short break we are launching a brand new course which helps us to consider the evidence and questions around the birth of jesus it's called did it really happen the birth of jesus why not sign up for the course or gift it to a friend find out more at premierunbelievable.com Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I've got a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time. And some of Tom's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask Anti Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash unbelievable show. That's premierinsight.org forward slash unbelievable show. Thank you. Welcome back. Andy Kind here. And this is unbelievable that you're watching and listening to. And today's episode features Lois McClatchy and Ellie Lee. And we're talking about abortion. The topic is, should abortion be decriminalized 
in the UK. It's a sensitive topic. People will have um, very strong views on either side. But we are having a very good and gentle and respectful conversation. Before the break, I very rudely stepped on the uh, the conversation between Ellie and Lois. So, Lois, let's go straight back to you and please carry on from pretty much where you right. left off. Thank you. Yeah, no, I absolutely um, support the notion that it is extremely dangerous for a woman to abort her child using medical pills at home alone and therefore have to deliver her uh, child her, who has, um, you know, be, his life has been ended as a consequence of abortion on her own and potentially her own bathroom. I think that's a horrendous situation uh, to put women in. And that's the situation we've uh, enabled by pills by post. Now, women have the increase in women being prosecuted for any a, a kind of abortion-related offences did increase after pills by post uh, was made uh, the policy of this country. So, if this conversation is about reducing women from going to prison, reducing women from being that experience, then the answer is clear. We should roll back that policy and not enable uh, or not allow this pathway for women to obtain dangerous medical abortion pills uh, at a very late stage of pregnancy. And if if we are all united on that front uh, to keep women out of prison, that is clearly the obvious uh, way to go. Now, my concern is that those who are pushing for this uh, decriminalization uh, don't not, are not only motivated by that, but actually have a, an ideological motivation about abortion itself, trying to push that up to be legalized up as far as 40 weeks. Now, in 2017, there was polling conducted uh, by Savannah Comrades called Where Do They Stand? We found that only 1% of the UK population actually supported having abortion up to birth in our country. And I can fully understand that because anyone who has a house newborn baby or a baby born at 38 or 37 or 36 or a premature baby who can survive now uh, with the right support from as early as 21 weeks and five days or 21 weeks in one day, um, they know that there are much better solutions in those situations than having a late term abortion. And I would, I would pose the question as well, if we were having abortion up to 40 weeks legalized, then what truly is the difference between having 40 weeks and, and a day outside the womb? There is very little difference in a child who has developed and is ready for for life in the world, who is still in the womb, ready to be born, and one who is one day old, two days old. Uh, there's very little ethical difference in, in, in those two children. Both are dependent on their mother for survival. Uh, both are fully formed human beings. So I would challenge, and I, we have seen, you know, with a certain philosopher, Peter Singer, for example, that this line of thought is the logical conclusion uh, of supporting that abortion being available all the way up till birth. And um, so I, I, I would flag that warning that there is very little difference outside the womb. Perhaps, Ellie, I don't know if you'd like to respond to that. Do you have a, how would you differentiate between uh, the day before and the day after birthday? Um, we can have a, a how many angels on a pinhead discussion about about that if if you like. Um, I think it really is that sort of discussion. And um, the thing is, is is that the the reason why all of this is being opened up the the way it is at, at the moment with the discussions about the law and, and and where we're going with abortion services is is because of various developments in actual existing reality um and and to be honest with you i really don't think that that we can have a discussion that engages that 
actual existing reality and sensibly thinks about what kind of, of framework we need for this aspect of, of women's health care from a beginning point of, of um, completely hypothetical abstract discussions as, as interesting as, as they might be. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that if a woman was 40 weeks pregnant and she took mifepristone and, and, and misoprostol, what, what would happen is a birth. There aren't any doctors that are going to uh, do anything to her other than, than deliver a baby. And, and no woman has ever asked for this. So like... We can kind of discuss at, at an abstract level what's the difference between um, a, a pregnancy just before birth and, and, and the thing that's separate. I suppose if, if you want to do that, I would say that from the point of view of, of thinking about things ethically and, and where bright lines lie, I think the fact that um, if... If society ever intervenes um, on the body of a pregnant woman, then it does something to the body of a, of a pregnant woman, therefore to the pregnant woman. And, and the question of, of her consent matters enormously. In the scenario you're talking about, it's completely hypothetical, but I still think it matters. Once a baby's been, been delivered, then, then the situation's obviously different because it's separate from her body. But I, I really do think these discussions about what happens at, at 39 weeks, 40 weeks are really figments of, a, of an overly febrile pro-life imagination <laughs> and have really nothing to do with the questions that, that actually need addressing at the moment, which is how do we create a framework for abortion provision that, 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 does, that does the best for women? And, you know, the, they're the issues that, that are being raised about, about what we do about medical abortion, how best to provide it for women. I really think it is absolutely 100% wrong to uh, misrepresent what medical abortion constitutes um, for the, the, the provision of, of, of abortion and, and, and what women need, because it's a it's a really significant gain for women. I mean, the drugs, as I've said, are the same ones that are used in hospitals for the miscarriage of, for the management of miscarriage. They're very commonly used drugs in pregnancy for, 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 for managing this. They're extremely effective. They're very acceptable to women in, in, in their use in, in early pregnancy. And, and for lots and lots of women, uh, Ending a pregnancy this way is much, much better than, than the system of, of, of going to a clinic. So we can have a discussion, if you like, Lois, about the best way to run an abortion service. I would say with due respect that probably the people who are in the best position to comment on the best way to run an abortion service are, are people who accept the legality of abortion and who work running abortion services because because that's what they do. The, the, the same as I would say the best people to discuss issues around the provision of midwifery services or, or cardiology, you know, people who actually work in the provision. But anyway, the, the point is, is, is that medical abortion is a very 
for entirely appropriate reasons, is now just a standard, completely accepted, routine part of abortion care. The question of women in later pregnancy, um, who they need to see, how they need to, to interact with clinic staff and clinics, um, how all of that has, has to, to, to go on, that really is a question to do with having the right kind of policy structures, legal structures, and then systems of information provision surrounding the system. And the best way that you can make that happen is to, to take this out of anything to do with the criminal law and to treat abortion care as what it is, which is an aspect of medical care, and, and to give people involved in the, the, the medical care the biggest room possible to do that as well and as appropriately with individual women. So I, I do think we've got to realise that we're talking about things on different levels here. One, one level is what is the best way to run an abortion service in, in, in the interests of, of the women who, who are accessing the abortion service. And, and that really is, is a question of clinical practice, of the good organisation of services, of medical management, I mean, they're quite, they're, they're the same sorts of things you would discuss about any aspect of healthcare, And that discussion is, has got to be had. Separate to that, there is just the ethics question, which is, do you think it's up to the woman to choose on this? Or do you think somebody else should take that choice away from her? Now, to my mind, it doesn't matter if we're having that discussion, whether the pregnancy is at four weeks, 14 weeks, 24 weeks, 34 weeks, it doesn't make any difference. The substantive question there, Lois, is just the same. Well, we're going to ask uh, Lois to um, respond, but presumably there is an extra dimension to this, Lois, which is the question of um, whether an unborn baby at 40 weeks is in fact a human, is in fact uh, a child, is in fact a life. And I'm sure that lots of our viewers and listeners wouldn't think it's simply a case of how many angels can you fit on a pinhead. It's not, it's not a moot point, actually. So, Lois, why don't you... When you respond to so can, it, can I just make one point of clarification on that? The reason why I'm saying it's how many angels can can dance on a pinhead is that women don't ask to have abortions at 40 weeks. <laughs> it's like absolutely nobody is going to argue with you that that is a baby that's about to be born. A pregnant woman knows that. Doctors know that. I know that. Everybody knows that. Right. And, and women who are trying to end pregnancies are not trying to end pregnancies at 40 weeks. So why on earth you would want to begin there and then try and from that point of departure, pursue a discussion about what's the best law and policy to have on abortion, I think is just really weird. OK, well, we'll let we'll let Lois be as weird as she wants to be in her, <laughs> in her response. Yeah, but with respect, Ellie, I think this is a very, you've called it a hypothetical question. I think it's a highly relevant question considering that in only a matter of months, we could be facing a situation where it is legal to abort that child at 40 weeks or 35 or 30 or anything beyond 24, at which point they would have been able to survive with the right medical support, perhaps, if they had been delivered alive rather than being delivered um, with their life having been ended first. And um, in terms of infanticide, that's also not a hypothetical question. You can look on the news at, at any point, have a Google about cases where women have ended the lives of their born child. Um, and Stella Creasy's amendment, interestingly, uh, repeals 
also section 60 of the Offence Against the Person Act. Now that provision isn't actually about abortion, it's about infanticide, it's about um, the crime that is to hide or uh, the, the dead body of a newborn baby uh, and that would repeal that offence. So these are not hypothetical questions, these are entirely relevant questions and much of the population does agree, although we all have very different opinions about when life should be protected on. Most of us feel that there should be a great protection for life uh, towards the end of that pregnancy and it's not that no woman ever asks to have a late-term abortion because Carla Foster did and others have and so these women need better support than just having to turn to have an abortion uh, we can do much better to protect their lives their health and their well-being and the lives of their child and to make you know there's much uh, more we can do within our country to better support the life of that child who's able to survive able to thrive and a fully developed human being and I just want to, to to press you, Ellie, just for clarification, um, is it then, therefore, on the basis of what you've, you've told us already, is it therefore that you do think that doctors should be allowed to perform these abortions right up until that 40-week mark? <laughs> I guess if, if you could find a doctor who decided that that might be something that, that, that they would want to do, I guess... I don't, probably I don't think the law should, I just think it is such a bizarre discussion. You see, the, 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 the strange thing about the way your mind seems to be working on this, which I just can't square with the idea that, that you're saying that, that, that you're pro-woman or, or even just that you, that you even really talk to, to many women very much about their reproductive lives and, and their pregnancies and what goes on. Is that it, it's that the, the logic of the argument is is if we don't have a criminal prohibition that thre threatens women with being sent to prison, then what we're going to have is all these women wanting to end pregnancies at forty weeks. As if the thing that's stopping women ending pregnancies at forty weeks through abortion, or that's stopping doctors finding all these women and aborting them at 40 weeks is the 1861 Offences Against the Person Act. And I honestly think it's just nuts because I can tell you, as a matter of fact, that the reason why the patterning of abortion by gestation is the way it is and the reason why we don't have women asking for, for abortions late on has got absolutely nothing to do with the criminal law. The, the reason why it's it's the way it is, is that women absolutely want to, and abortion providers want to, to meet this need, they want to end pregnancies as early as possible. When women find out they're pregnant and they don't want to be, they are completely driven to end the pregnancy. And one of the main issues, actually, that's confronting the abortion service at the moment is because pregnancy testing kits have got so sensitive, they're getting women requesting um, abortion before you can even know whether it's possible and whether the drugs will... So that's how it works. I've done a lot of research about women who end up at later gestational stages and end up having, having abortions later. It's a minority of women and, and it dwindles and dwindles to, to really tiny negligible numbers um, once you, you you get past 20 weeks and, and that's nothing to do with the law it's not because women are threatened it, it, it's for women's own reasons 
And, and it's also for women's own reasons mainly that, that, that they end up requesting abortions later on because things get in a terrible mess sometimes in people's lives and then women act on it. Now, my view is, is that if we want to live in a humane society that respects women and that respects their ability to act on their conscience and do what they think is best for themselves, for their family, for their existing children, you know, these women have other... But children, that was the case with Carla Foster, you know, and unfortunately, because of this dreadful law we have, we all know now far too much about her and her family and her situation, about her other children, about what had happened with their relationships, about the absolute mess she got in and in the context of the pandemic. You know, and, and my view is, is, is that we need to have enormous sympathy and, and respect for these women and to try and do everything possible to, to get into a situation where they can be helped earlier. But the fact is, is, is that some women will end up later in pregnancies uh, when, when, when they want to find ways of addressing this situation. But I can tell you, Lois, you know, you, you might want to just have this imaginary that there's all these women out there that can't wait till they're 40 weeks to request an abortion. It's really on an, it, it is honestly just on another planet. And, and, and I don't think that, that people in Parliament or anyone that wants to have a serious discussion about what kind of law we need to have around this and, and, and the morality that, that should underpin it should should begin with such a, a I mean, really reprehensible view, actually, of, of women. OK, so we've got we've got Ellie. Uh, we've got Ellie clearly passionate about uh, protecting women, defending women and honouring their uh, choices. Uh, Lois, if you could fly down from the planet you've been on back to Earth and, um, and, and respond, respond as, you, as you see fit. Still very much on Earth, Andy. Um, the, I know that I'm on Earth because I can see uh, the, uh, the figures from the, the health department, uh, which um, tells us about the number of abortions which happen uh, before 24 weeks and, then before and after 24 weeks currently, as we said. And it's very strange because Ellie has, has very clearly made the point that very few abortions uh, take place in very late stages, but said that that has no reference to the law as it stands. Now, the law currently allows abortion up to 24 weeks and uh, only in very rare exceptions, including uh, disability afterwards. Um, so it seems to be very clear to me that the law does have a very deterrent impact. It stops women from getting into dangerous situations where they have late-term abortions, um, apart from in very, very rare circumstances. So it, it doesn't make sense to say that the law has no deterrent impact. It clearly, clearly does. Uh, and is there to protect. The law is there for two reasons. Is there to stop uh, and prevent women from getting into a situation like Carla Foster, uh, for whom I have immense sympathy and who went through a terrible, traumatic and horrendous experience as she delivered uh, the baby that was no longer alive and she later called baby Lily and she talked about how horrendous and traumatizing that experience was for her. So the law is there to protect women from getting into that situation and it has been effective uh, in terms of uh, preventing many abortions from taking place after 24 weeks. 24 weeks, of course, being one of the most, most liberal laws that we have uh, in the Western world. Uh, many countries, most countries across Europe, um, 
protect the life of the child or they prevent abortion uh, from 12 to 15 weeks. So bear in mind, we already have a very liberal uh, law in the UK going almost all the way up to six months pregnancy. Most countries would look at that and say that we're already very extreme. And now we have a situation where we want to make it even more dangerous for the life of the, for the woman who has to go through a very traumatizing experience. Uh, doctors, we know, have reported um, that in, in various studies, uh, they find it very difficult to be aborting babies at a very late stage. There's reports of doctors even uh, vomiting in corridors, um, having had to go through this traumatizing experience of aborting a very late stage pregnancy, uh, a late stage baby uh, in the womb. And it also protects uh, the life of those children who would be able to survive if only they were given the chance to be born alive. And there's many different things that we can be doing to support the lives of those children after birth. And we can improve things in our country greatly uh, for those children. I think we can do a lot better to be promoting things like adoption uh, or promoting uh, services and help uh, for new mothers who need uh, extra assistance. I think there's much more humane ways uh, that we can uh, help in these situations Rather than abandon women uh, to an abortion, it's incredibly dangerous. Uh, it can increase uh, their likelihood of uh, things like anxiety, suicidal thoughts, um, and uh, various uh, mental health uh, issues that can be linked to uh, abortion and have been uh, by scholars such as David Ferguson, who himself is a pro-choice scholar. So I think we just owe the women in our country much better than simply liberalizing abortion all the way up to birth. We owe the next generation of children in our country much better than, ab than legalizing abortion all the way up to 40 weeks. And I'm greatly concerned um, about the impact that that would have uh, as we look at uh, newborn life as well, um, to say that there is no protection for any child um, who is born beyond that stage. So I, uh, yeah, that was, that's a, a great concern. And I, these are not hypothetical. These are realities that we will face when these and if these amendments get voted through. So they're incredibly important discussions to have. Okay. And we're going to continue to have that discussion. Uh, we are going to go to our uh, second break of the episode now, but this is a substantive conversation between two people who know what they're talking about have their own views, have done their research, and are engaged in a respectful but animated conversation. This is unbelievable that you're watching and listening to. I'm Andy Kind, and my guests today are Ellie Lee and Lois McClatchy. The subject for today is, should abortion be decriminalized in the UK? In the third and final section, I want to talk about worldview and how one's personal worldview informs and plays into the view we might have on abortion. So we're going to we're going to talk about that. But um, thank you to my guests so far. Let us know what you think. Email us unbelievable at premier.org.uk. And we'll be back with part three, the third and final part of this conversation in just a few moments time. Looking at the gap between what I was experiencing during frontline work and what I had been taught as feminist theory shook my faith in feminist theory. We seem to have just abandoned any effort to control men and to constrain male sexuality, which has to be constrained. As you say so powerfully in this book, the whole sexual revolution has been a boon for caddish men. It's justified by contemporary liberal feminists as being something beneficial for women, but in fact, those who have benefited the most are the ones who have the most contempt for women. Yeah. Louise Perry and Rod Dreher discuss Christianity, the sexual revolution, and the future of the West on The Big Conversation. Visit thebigconversation.show.
Well, welcome back to Unbelievable. I'm your host, Andy Kind, and my guests today are Ellie Lee and Lois McClatchy, and we're talking about abortion and should abortion be decriminalised in the UK. We hope you found it an interesting conversation so far. It's obviously um, full of emotion, and um, I want to talk in this final section, but at least start off by talking about one's worldview and personal morality, because obviously this isn't just a practical issue. It's not just a uh, legal issue. It is a, a question of um, morality and, and and goodness. So, Lois, let's, let's come to you first. In general terms, how does one's worldview impact the stance that one might take on abortion? And then personally, for you, what what's your worldview and how does that play in? And for you, when does a life begin? Because we've talked a lot about, and rightly, about women's rights and protecting women. And you said yourself, you, you want to protect the woman, but you also said you want to protect the child if if possible. So for you, and then we'll let Ellie respond, um, when, does, when does life begin? So worldview, how does that impact someone's stance? And what is a life? Well, it's interesting. This question, one is a life, is actually not necessarily a religious or a philosophical question. It's a biological question. Um, and when surveyed, 95%, 95% of biologists across the USA uh, from a study at, uh, taking place at the University of Chicago uh, said that they believe that, that life begins at conception. And uh, that's just a fundamental biological fact is when a new human being, distinct uh, human and whole, uh, with a, its own set of DNA is formed. Um, and that for that reason, although of course, uh, there's a huge correlation between Christianity uh, and um, and the support for the right to life based on the Christian worldview of human rights, etc. There's actually a lot of uh, secular groups, there's uh, secular pro-life uh, groups across, there's some in Britain, some in the States, some elsewhere, uh, who defend this model of a right to life. The, the reason why I uh, particularly find it compelling to protect uh, life in the womb uh, is because I like to have uh, to imagine what think of the baby outside the womb first. So if you have um, a five-year-old child uh, and you consider is it okay? You know they're very dependent on their their mother. They're not going to be able to uh, feed themselves, uh, get themselves to school in the morning. They're very very dependent on their mother still. Is it in any sense okay to end that child's life? And the answer, of course, we all say no. It's never okay to end a five year old's life. And then we think about a two year old and we say, well, they're even more dependent on their mother, even more kind of useless to society at the moment. Should we ever be able to to take their life? And of course, we say no. We think about a newborn. I say. Hold that, you know, we can imagine that uh, feeling of holding a warm newborn in our arms. We say, is it ever okay to, to take advantage of this vulnerability uh, of this child who contributes nothing to society, can't talk, can't express any opinions, uh, can barely, you know, form a, a, set, a sentence in their own brain? Uh, is it okay? And we say no. And then if we work back through the stages of gestation in the womb, there's never any uh, clarity or reason why uh, a child in the womb who is equally dependent on their mother and equally unable to contribute as right now to society, there's no difference between them and a born child. Uh, there's no difference between them and somebody else who is walking around on this planet and equally needs uh, to be protected and supported to thrive. Uh, so that's why I hold this view that we can find solutions which protect and help and support both lives in a pregnancy, both the mother and the child, and not uh, only uh, prioritize one over the other or sacrifice one for the other, but find solutions that help and empower both to survive and thrive. Okay. Ellie, feel free to come straight back. 
Um, there's nothing contentious whatsoever about the proposition that, that biological life begins at conception. Um, I don't know anyone who disagrees with that. Um, the issue is is um, how much weight you accord um, to the conscience of, of the woman um, during a pregnancy um, to decide whether that particular uh, biological life is going to be uh, end up as a, a child in the world. Um, I mean, about a half of women in this country who have abortions are already mothers. Um, the idea that they, they don't know that a pregnancy could turn into a born child is um, a pretty strange way of looking at things. Of course they do, and, and exactly the reason why they have a, a abortions is um, because of their their commitments to their families, um, to, to what they need to do, and 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 what they they think they they can manage, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, you you're either on one side or the other. I mean, you can't be for women, um, and think that they have no right uh, to decide on on their own futures in in relation to family building, um, because it's so fundamental and so core. Um, to the meaning of, of womanhood in society, um, being able to take on and, and pursue those responsibilities um, in the way that, that, that makes sense to you um, and, and, and that you can, can do in your life. I can't actually think of anything that's more fundamental to, to, to womanhood than that. Um, at, at the end of the day, I think, therefore... Um, this this decision ultimately is is down to the woman first and foremost, um, and I think that that how she sees the, the pregnancy and its uh, continuances is down to her. Uh, women have always um, sought to end, end pregnancies. We we know that through the whole of recorded history. It's not there's nothing new in it. Uh, what changes is our ability to enable women to to, to do this safely. Um, with support and, and, and without stigma um, in, in a way that, that respects their personhood and conscience and privacy. And okay. I want to live yeah. in, in a society that, that, that recognises those things. So, you know, if, if, if you ask where my morality lies on this, um, it, it lies with, with trusting women and, and their conscience and, and their judgments and, and fully recognising what womanhood in, in society means in, in relation to this issue. And that does mean I think I think women and, and their capacity to make decisions at, at the end of the day is a meaningful right. Um, while I accept that 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 if a, a, a fetus is a life and that a conceptus is a life, um, I, its rights are only ones which are um, enacted by others to the detriment of women. They're, they're enacted by third parties by the state, by politicians, by other people who interfere in a woman's choice. So the su suggestion there for you, Lois, that um, you are not for women, uh, if you have this, the stance that you have, um, presumably you are a woman. And um, so why don't you come back on that? Because the morality that Ellie has, has laid out very cogently is that we should trust women's judgment. Well, as a woman yourself, your judgment is that this is... This is wrong. This view that you have, which is contrary to Ellie, um, is the is the the greater view. So, why don't you when you come back on that and continue to unpack right. this? Let, 
Let, let me just press a little further just to get clarification before uh, I come back fully, if that's okay, Ellie. Um, would you clarify for me, which, is there any circumstance in which you would support any sort of uh, criminal uh, penalty on abortion, say, uh, for an abortion taking place for because they want a girl rather than a boy? Or um, would you uh, still press on uh, criminality after birth? Like we talked about, I didn't get quite a clear answer on that. Um, would you still criminalize uh, infanticide and, and why that? And is there any circumstance that you support any form of criminal penalty on abortion for any reason? Um, I, I think a, a woman's reasons for abortion are, are her reasons and, and whether you like them or not is neither here nor there. I mean, obviously you're, you're, you're a woman and, and it would be absolutely reprehensible for anyone to try and make you have an abortion. Um, and, and, and nobody should, should should ever do that. That's your right as as a woman, Lois. Um, but just because you're a woman, that, that doesn't give you the, the right to tell me or any other woman um, what, what what we should do with our lives and our pregnancies. And, and whether you happen to agree or disagree with my reasoning um, is 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 of no moment um, because it's it's my reasoning. Um, and I think at, at the end of the day, if if we respect in, individuals and and their rights and and their liberties, we have to respect the fact that people will will do things that that other people don't like and 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 don't agree with. I mean, that's yeah, that's what sure. liberty and freedom means. You you don't have to 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 think it's good. I mean, <laughs> you know, I I might disagree with lots of. Or, 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 you know, be taken aback by by lots of, of particular circumstances and, and reasons that, that women might might give. That's just my sure. prejudice. Sure. So the yeah the the logic to that argument, I suppose, the big concerning red flag is that there is no difference um, between the day of before the, in that logic between a woman ending life of her child the day before birth and the day after. Or, or why, why is that the logic of it, Lois? Because if we support a woman's life right to enter her, the life of her child at that stage, there's no uh, reason why we wouldn't after. But let me come on more broadly, Ellie. You don't think birth is, is a significant feature of our, our existence as, as human beings? You don't think birth matters? I, I can't see why that would be something that changes our position as a, from you know geographically from inside the womb to outside because the womb. Then, within then a, there's a baby a that of hours. Can, can look after and do things with. And... Well, you it's see, that's yeah. from, from the woman. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what you've hit on there. I mean, that's, that's why we celebrate birthdays, for example. Sure. Let me let me come in. For, let me it's let me speak. Person in the world that, that we recognise as a person in the world. So I think the point here, Ellie, is that by legalizing these late-term abortions, these are babies that could survive outside the womb. And therefore, it's very difficult for me to see them as having a different legal value when they are able to survive and thrive. But let me finish my point because I haven't actually come back on the initial question. So thank you so much. Um, yeah, we've, we've talked about being... Uh, pro-woman. And I think uh, that is absolutely clear from the experiences of women who are undergoing late-term abortions. These are not the ideal. In fact, no little girl ends up, you know, grew up, up saying, I want to have an abortion when I'm older. It is never a first choice. It is never an ideal. And I think we can do so much better than abortion to uphold the rights and well-being of women in our country. You know, when we had introduced uh, abortion uh, during the sexual revolution, it came in with this mantra of uh, my body, my choice. And I understand the argument uh, 
that many abortion advocates put forward for personal autonomy. But what that rhetoric actually did was instead of saying that fathers, you have to support women in this situation and families, you have to get behind women in this situation, in this crisis, it's saying it's your body, your choice, your problem, your issue. And therefore we have abandoned women to go and have abortions, to take care, get rid of this kid that's an inconvenience uh, to everybody, to get rid of this, maybe it's a family stigma. And they've abandoned them to this trauma, to this procedure, which we know is harmful, is we know can cause trauma, can cause uh, great mental health um, consequences too. And, uh, you know, it's physically dangerous as well. There's no abortion that takes place with zero risk, especially at late term. Uh, and therefore, uh, I think that we owe the women of this country much, much better than saying the best that we can do for feminism, the best that we can do for women's rights is to simply offer you an abortion. And now we're not even going to give you the courtesy of having medical of supervision uh, for your abortions. You can simply order the pills in the mail, take care of it yourself, and that's it done. I think we owe the women of this country much better, and that's why I hold that my position is extremely pro-women. It looks for the much better offer that we can give women and also seeks to support those lives, especially in this, in this debate, especially looking at that later stage of life at when these children are able to survive, um, to help them to thrive too. I don't think you know, this debate is so often mischaracterizes. You know, one side says, I support women's rights and nothing to do with the child. I don't care about the child at all. And I think, to be honest, the majority of people in the country do not think that. And then the, the other side is mischaracterized as saying, I only care about the child. I don't care about the woman at all. She can just do whatever, but she has to give birth and will abandon her. And I think if we're honest, the majority of pro-lifers, certainly nobody I've ever met has ever held, held that position. What I'm advocating is for a solution where we can actually protect and support both mother and child and the solution to that is not risky late-term abortions being legalized in this country but rather uh, protecting and preventing that from happening and providing much much better for women to thrive as mothers or to look for options such as adoption to allow their child to thrive to allow them the best support that they can get and I look forward to a much brighter future for that if we are able to resist uh, this sort of lazy feminism that just says, oh, just go to an abortion. That's the best you can do. That's the best expression of feminism. I think we owe ourselves much better than that. Um, so so the first thing is, is, is that neither sex nor abortion were, were invented in the 60s. Abortion is not a product of the sexual revolution. Legal abortion. Well... Legal, legal abortion wasn't even in this country. The, the, the drivers for the legalization of abortion in 1967 were, were before that. Um, so, um, you know, if I mean, it's no time to go to go into it now, but it, it explains the nature of the 1967 Abortion Act um, is that actually it wasn't in, influenced by, by those ideas. Um, it, it was influenced by other ideas, uh, primarily a concept of social justice. Um, you know, it was before um, the women's liberation movement really uh, uh, began. So I think that's just a, a confusion and a wrong comparison with um, influences in America. Um, the reason why the, the, the birth rate fell so dramatically in this country and many others between about 1880 and 1914, what demographers call the first demographic uh, uh, transition 
um, was um, uh, encouraged and and enabled in in a large part by illegal abortion um, because women uh, and men wanted to have fewer children. So it's just a a complete misreading of of history, Um, partly what you're saying, Lois. The thing that I, I really think and what I really want to say, though, is that I do think that you have completely got the, the wrong end of the stick with what this discussion is going to be like over the next few weeks and, and, and what's going on. Because the reason why um, what's happening now uh, with this effort to, to take abortion out of the criminal law is, is happening hasn't got anything to do with people wanting women to be able to have late abortions or because there's this huge lobby around marching about going on saying we want abortion at at 38 weeks that the reason why it's happening is because a bunch of women in a completely horrendous manner have been hauled through the courts and some have been sent to prison that that's what's happening and and lots of people and and most certainly the most significant parts of the the, the medical profession and people who are closely involved in this simply do not want it to be a situation that women who have abortions are sent to prison. It's not because they want them to have late abortions. It's just they don't want them to go to prison for having abortions. Now, what people want is for women to be able to have abortions as as early as possible in in a way that's managed and supported by a healthcare system. And that's why we need to have the law changed to, to, to make that more possible and, and to have this discussion. So I honestly think there's like a sort of, I don't know what kind of strain, there's this sort of weird bubbly world that that, that some of you must be existing in and, and talking to each other in where you've just got stuck on this thing about abortion at, at, at 40 weeks. It's honestly not, not what's happening now. I mean, if I'm perfectly honest with you, I think the much more interesting, well, more interesting... A very significant thing that's happening at the moment in in relation to to, to medical abortion as part of, generally speaking, fertility regulation is right at the other end of the spectrum. Um, Because I think that that we're now in a situation where lots of younger women are less keen on taking a daily pill and are thinking about how they regulate their fertility through pills quite differently. And I think that there is a blurring at the other end, actually, um, that's now happening between early medical abortion um, and um, other forms of, of, of contraception. And, and it's really changing things enormously. The whole future of pregnancy prevention and fertility control is going to be very, very different to the past. And things have really moved on in that sense since the sexual revolution and, and the advent of, of the pill. And, you know, y- young women's view on, on this is, is really very different um, and I think that there's lots of conversations and very important conversations that that, that, that need to be had about, um, you know, the place of different hormones and, and different drugs within fertility regulation in, in, in a way that, 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 that can be helpful for women. Um, and we need to be able to have that discussion and just getting abortion out of the, the, the criminal law. And then being able to to approach this whole question of how do we help women in the best way possible, regulate their fertility and plan their families in in a way that's safest and most sensible for them. That's that's the discussion that that, that we need to have. And, And honestly, this thing about women having abortions at, at 40 weeks and should doctors be able to do that and all that, I mean, you know, 
we can have a discussion about it, but it, it's honestly not not the reason for anything that that's happening at the moment, and 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 the way this is gonna gonna move forward. It's much more. It's much more grounded in in the reality of women's lives, in in the reality of their sex lives, and in in, in the reality of how how they want to um, control and, and and regulate their fertility. And it runs right through to a spectrum of all sorts of things that are happening at the other end now with assisted conception and associated technologies. And you know, I'm I'm hopeful. I'm really hopeful that that, that we can have a completely different sort of discussion about this that that isn't hung up on really old tired debates that, that that we can move forward and 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 help women by doing that well this hasn't been a, a tired a tired debate so lois you've got uh, two minutes we've got two minutes before we need to uh wrap up so in two minutes um please make your closing statement yeah well i certainly haven't been having a tired debate i think we're talking about things that are concretely on the table with this legislation that I'm looking at before me. I've been accused a lot about being hypothetical, but I'm looking at the reality of the law that would be changing within these amendments. And it would uh, put women in a much more vulnerable situation by removing deterrence from dangerous late-term abortion. Now we've talked about wanting to prevent women from going to prison. I don't only want to prevent them from going to prison. I want to prevent them from going through this horrendous experience that no woman should ever feel that she has to face. So I think it's very clear, we've covered it already in this debate, what the change needs to be. And it needs to be prevention of the very act itself of late abortion. And the way to do that is to not be supplying these dangerous pills by post, roll back that, ensure that there is medical supervision for all women who are facing this crisis, and therefore prevent them from being in a situation where they could be on the line for committee and offence, to get abortions. You're very happy with women being provided with abortions in clinics as long as they're provided surgically. Is that what you're saying? Or are you happy for them to be given the pills in a clinic? I'm having a concrete... Thanks, Ellie. You're, I'm having you're, a you're happy with an abortion on, service Ellie. as long as it's clinic-based. Is that what I'm, you're saying? What I am doing is having a concrete look at the legislation before me, which would remove these preventions of late-term abortion. I'm saying, no, let's not do that. Let's prevent late-term abortions themselves. That is the argument that I'm putting forward. And that but is what I think we should be arguing to politicians who want to protect women and want to protect babies, because we should be looking towards a society where both lives are protected as much as possible and supported in law. Okay, well, I think it's just completely disingenuous, Lois, because you don't want women to be able to have abortions anywhere or anyhow. It's not really about whether they, it's guys, the we're going to have to. Ha- let's not have a hypothetical discussion, Ellie. Let's talk about the law. Well, um, it's been adversarial. It's been challenging. It's been combative. Um, and I wonder what you think, watching and uh, listening. I know I have my thoughts, but what you can't deny is that we have two very clever people who are well-read, well-researched and well-spoken, defending their views um, cogently and with passion. So today on Unbelievable, we've been talking about abortion and should abortion be decriminalised in the UK. My guests have been Ellie Lee and Lois McClatchy. And as always, there's so much more that we could go on about. And uh, I feel as though we could have spoken for another hour and still be at this height of uh, potential tension that we leave on. But um, this is why we have these debates. We want to air people's views. We want to give every view a fair hearing and for people to make up 
their own minds. So what do you think? Why don't you uh, let us know? You can email us, unbelievable at premier.org.uk. Um, you can find us on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Unbelievable FE, that's Foxtrot Echo, or Facebook.com forward slash Premier Unbelievable. You can leave a comment on YouTube, but just be aware this is a sensitive and emotional topic, so just please be careful with your words. Uh, we'll be back again on Unbelievable for another conversation that helps Christians and non-Christians to think through the issues that really matter. Once again, I've been Andy Kind, and thank you so much to my guests, Ellie Lee and Lois McClatchy, and we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us on Unbelievable, the show that aims to get you thinking. We would love to hear your thoughts. Do get in touch. You can email us at unbelievable at premier.org.uk or leave a comment on our Twitter account at unbelievablefe or on the Premier Unbelievable Facebook page. And do check out our website, premierunbelievable.com. Registering there gives you access to all of our web content and our newsletter, through which you can gain access to hours of exclusive bonus content. That's premierunbelievable.com. And if you register or sign up for our newsletter there, you will automatically be entered into our competition to win a free book. If you enjoy listening to Unbelievable, please do consider rating and reviewing it on your podcast platform. Thank you for listening and see you next week.